Hey everybody, thanks for uh, tuning in to another episode. Sorry it's late, I've been sick for the last four days, no voice, so I'm going to keep this very short. Um, thank you for the fantastic 2021. I cannot thank you guys enough for uh, tuning in every week. I couldn't think of a better guest to start 2022 off than Braun Daler from Mastodon. I got to tell you, I, over the last, I don't know, six years, seven years, have just fallen in love with Mastodon more and more. And it is just an honor to have these guys on the show anytime they're on. This band is one of the most original bands out doing metal in the, in, in the history of metal, man. It's just it's incredible what they bring to the table. And their new record is just mind-boggler. So... I want to uh, just give a quick shout out real quick to Mr. Banker Guitars. Banker Guitars. They have been a, an incredible sponsor. And uh, I wanted to give them a shout out. And I want to give a shout out to the new Patreoners. Man, my voice is trashed. David Peck, thank you so much. Big, big, big donation. Thank you. Mike, just Mike. Okay, Mike, Cuz from Australia, Austin Jackson, Jason Jeffrey, Frank Bernacki. Oh, Frank Bernacki coming in strong, too. Thank you. Fred Feltner, Mr. Big are better than Miss the Black Crows. That's that guy's name, which is a, a wrong name. <laughs> uh, Sean O'Sullivan, Derek Regal. Rich Burke and Cindy Poon. Thank you. I will tell you this. I do not have COVID. I picked up strep throat somewhere along the last four days of my travel. I do not recommend this at all. But I had to get the show up for you guys. So here it is right now. We're kicking 2022 off in, in glorious style. Braun Daler of Mastodon. Candles lit. <laughs> Yeah. What's up? What's, what's up? What's up? What's up? How you doing? I'm good, man. Just fucking waking up. Had some shows last night, so. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. I try to go on every night. You know. What were you doing? Telling telling jokes. Telling some fucking <laughs> do, doing some skits as some uh, you know uh, relatives would say during the holidays. You still doing those skits? <laughs> oh yeah, you're doing some skits. Some skits. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm skitting it up out yeah. there doing doing my skits. I just did some skits <laughs> in front of Metallica's 40th anniversary. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, how did the uh, how was the uh, audience for the skits? Did they did they did they enjoy it or did they hate it? Well, first night was uh it was bumpy. Had to figure it out, you know. Um, yeah. but second night was fantastic. Like great. You just figure it out. You know, you got to make adjustments. I, I've done arenas, but you're going up in front of uh, Metallica and then yeah. you're at their 40 year anniversary party, like their giant parties. So people are there from all around the world. So no you, pressure. Yeah, no pressure. And then you got, you know, people from like Brazil or Ireland or Ecuador and you're doing jokes about uh, Broadway, the street where Metallica used to play. I'm like what? Right. <laughs> you know, at local references. <laughs> yeah i mean well yeah i always found it uh just daunting playing music before metallica plays music you know <laughs> <laughs> i never heard anybody say i opened for a band and it was incredible it's either i opened for a band it was horrible or 
I, it was okay. I got, I got out, but uh, the second night was fantastic. That's good. I think Paul F. Tompkins had a whole bit about uh, opening for, I can't remember what band it was, but he was just like, people had just the very idea of comedy before music. They were like, no, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we had a, uh, uh, Brian Posehn opened for us one time at the 40 watt in Athens, which is a small venue. And it was like our, our friend, uh, Henry Owings, who does Chunklet magazine, who's a friend to many comedians. And we thought, you know what, this is the perfect opportunity. And I think this is going to go great. There's not going to be any problems. You know, Brian's going to go up. He's pretty well known, especially in the metal scene. You know, people know he's a big metal nerd, so they'll respect him and they'll laugh at the jokes. Then we'll go on and do our thing. And it'll be the perfect, you know, situation for comedy before music. But even for him, they're like heckling him. I'm just I was very disappointed in our fans that, that they were giving him shit. I'm like, are you kidding me? Well, I got lucky because Metallica brought me up. I think when the band brings you up, then the yeah. people give you some leeway, like, well, it's yeah. their friend, so let's see what this is. But if they don't bring you up, people just assume like uh, some dude at the venue booked you. You know what I mean? Right, and, yeah. and the band has no idea who's out there. You know yeah, I mean? and the, like, the the band hates you too, and like they and and yeah. they desperately want you gone, and so they're gonna do everything they can to get you off of there. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. that's good. They prop they probably have had a couple of of times where they experience some negativity towards comedy before music and and we're like we need to we need to present him or else he's gonna they're gonna throw they're gonna throw stuff but yeah i you know i i absolutely loved it and i'll take the challenge anytime uh the only pressure was it was it, it, you know i grew up in san francisco i've known those guys 39 years so it was really like i didn't want to let them down you know what, what what you know the audience yeah i want i want them to be happy but mostly i want the band to be like all right. Yeah. He didn't fuck up our 40 year party, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy for you. And I'm happy, happy that it went well. Yeah. Yeah. But the second night went well. <laughs> the second night. Yeah. You're a comedy guy. Uh, who's on your bass drum this year? You had a red Fox on, right? I have red and Rodney on there. Yeah. yeah. The two, two lone wolves. And I, you know, it's, it looks like to me that they're at some party somewhere and they both look, you know, I mean, not that they ever, ever looked like they weren't half in the bag, but they were looks look pretty half in the bag. And I'm like, damn, I wish I was at that party, you know? Oh, my God. Uh, right? yeah. I mean, how how great are both those guys, man? Oh, yeah. Legends. I mean, <laughs> uh, we were just watching uh, Natural Born Killers the other night. I don't know. It just just struck our fancy. And uh, and man, Rodney and that is just man I, I wish that his role had been expanded oh god yeah <laughs> and that yeah. particular movie towards the end of his you know career and everything but uh but man yeah just how great amazing yeah yeah how you doing man i'm doing all right i just got over covid oh yeah second way yeah. mock two or uh first i think i had the delta because i had no taste or smell my smell is just now coming back so yeah i the the day i got home from tour i tested positive at my house so uh, we made it through the tour, at least, because there was a lot of like, um, we were nervous about it, you know, like, like we have, have seen so many examples of, of bands that go out have been trying to go out for this, this weird sort of purgatory that everybody's in and go ahead and be brazen and go do it um, and try to put these protocols in place of, you know, no people allowed backstage, everything's on lockdown, we're in this bubble. But, you know, the bubble gets, you know, people, yeah. people, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. You know, you're out there on tour 
as as much as you try to be good, you know, there's people that are they're just going to do their thing. So we made it through the three weeks. Plus, plus it was extra nerve wracking because we had two bands from, you know, one band, Opeth from Sweden and Zeeland Arder are from Switzerland. So we really, for their sake, really wanted everything to go smoothly in that regard, because, I mean, if they had to sit in quarantine for two weeks and not go home and, and maybe possibly, you know, miss Christmas or something like that, man, that'd be just horrible. So, but we made it. We made it out of the the tour itself and it went great. Uh, and we did because, you know, we did three weeks and we would normally we would never do a three week tour. You know what I mean? It's just um, it's hard to, you know, be, uh, you know, it's hard to really put any money in your pocket when you when you do three weeks you know first two weeks usually pays for the tour and then everything after that you maybe take some some home but um we just wanted to see if we could do it so we did it but normally we'd go out for a month a month and a half you know and so we would have had to take it all down if i i had tested positive you know and another band member uh so uh but i'm here yeah it was okay it wasn't too terrible. I was uh, I was pretty sick for about a week, week and a half, and um, there you go. I had it. I thought I was going to be one of those one of those people that didn't get it, but I, I I ended up getting it. There you go. Anybody else in the band get it? Uh, Troy got it, but it was a very mild case. I think he just had like a little headache and some couldn't taste or smell. Uh, yeah. But that was it. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time of touring because it. You're right. Uh, let's say Opeth who comes over and. And it's going to be a shoestring uh, budget for them money-wise and stuff. And then if they're two dates in and somebody gets COVID, man, just the amount of loss is un unfathomable. It's just for a band just to survive. Yeah. Like, oh my God, now we can't even make the money to break even on the tour. We're behind. Oh, no, you'd be, you'd be paying in and nobody wants to do that. Uh, and, you know, we're trying to like have this big show, all this production and, and really come in with a bang and be like, hey, you know, new record and all this. And, uh, you know, it could so very easily be uh, taken away and then, you know, find a little bit of financial ruin going on there. Yeah. Because there's so much goes into it. There's, there's, there's so many things that have to be, you know, I mean, if we had to cancel some shows when we were back in the van days, they're kind of no big deal, you know, you'd, It'd be fine, but there's like hundred something people on the payroll. There's there's semi trucks that are already rented and full. There's buses. There's you know. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's very uh, it's very scary to go out and try to do it. But you know, we want to. We want to yeah. like like everybody else. You want to sort of force it back into normalcy, you know. But um, it's not all the way there yet. But like I said, we got through it, and. Well, we will get back to it probably uh, in the spring. Yeah, I wanted to go see you guys at the Palladium, but I'm I'm like yourself. I'm in the middle of this tour with Burr, and I'm like, oh man, I can't I can't risk going to a show and getting COVID because then you know I'm off the tour, you know, and then I, and now I can't pay my bills, so it's like shit. I'm really leery these days of. Uh, of, uh, you know, I had COVID, uh, at the beginning of COVID. So I'm not really worried right. about that. It's just worried about people going, well, you can't go work for the next two weeks. And then, you know, of course, Bill just gets somebody else and then I'm out, you know? So it's like a weird thing. Like, Oh, I want to go to the movies. Ooh, I don't want to see the movie that bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. I don't mind missing my own shows because it's just like a small show, say in town, but if you're yeah. on a tour, you don't want to be missing that, man. It's crazy. Of course. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Bill, that, that's a, that's a good, that's a good tour. Yeah. 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 But well, we did red rocks and I always wanted to do red rocks my whole life. So the whole time I was like, Oh God, can you imagine just getting like COVID the day before red rocks? <laughs> like, uh, oh, <laughs> fuck. That would really suck. Yeah. yeah I would. That's a magical, magical place. I love yeah. playing there. Let's get into, uh, the record. Of course. Um, God, it's a great record. It took me a minute. I wanted to have you on the show when it first came out, but I had to be in the right frame of mind to take this record in. It's it's real dense. It's got a lot of depth to it. And I didn't want to just kind of listen to it. I, I tried. I listened to it and was like, okay, I'll have my wait. I got to dig into this more. And Justice for All being one of my favorite records ever, anything with a lot of depth, you can't just, uh, you know, listen to it once and go, okay, let's just have them on now. You know, this thing's real dense and and super cool. Thanks. Yeah, no, I know. I fully understand that. And I understand that we presented all of our fans and casual listeners with a daunting task. You know what I mean? Uh, but it was one of those things where we just felt pretty strongly about it and we said, you know, like with any album, you know, we're like, this is what we, this is how we feel, you know, and this is what we need to put out to the world. So here you go. Uh, either, you know, like it or don't like it or, you know, whatever you want to do with it, put it on in the background. But uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely, you know, for me, it's different, obviously, because, you know, from all its little seedlings when we were starting to write it and, and craft it or whatever it's been two years plus that we've been that we had been working on it so um by the time it got to the to the fans it was like oh man you know uh very very well it's, it's like just a part of me so um it's impossible for me to put myself in the shoes of somebody who's listening for the first time but i do understand that an hour and a half worth of music is maybe too much for some people and once you get towards the end, you're like, is this the same record, you know, or is this, is this still going on? Because I've had that feeling with some of my favorite bands, too. You know what I mean? But I find those records later on become your favorite of all time because yeah, it yeah, slowly sure. unravels. And that is what was happening with this record to me over the last month and a half or so. I was like, holy shit, this thing is fucking great. It's so far away from show yourself. You know what I mean? It's like completely the opposite in a spectrum. It's like crack the sky or something where it's like, it has so much layers, but as they unravel, you're like, wow, this is fucking cool, man. You know? Yeah. I mean, as far as show yourself is concerned, that was really a splashy puddle, you know, right? it was yeah. like by, by design, I guess, you know, in the beginning when Bill had that riff and we had kind of come up with that particular song, you know, I was already on, you know, on the fence about it. You know, I remember listening back and being like, is this us? I'm not really sure. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I always think I always think of albums, full albums, you know, and I was like, oh, it's a splashy puddle in the middle of sort of a dense record. But then when this album, when we started writing this, you know, if any if any riff or part came about that was anything resembling happy or good mood, we I think I feel like we just got it right out of there. We just didn't want to have anything to do with that at the, yeah. for this record. I don't know. We just weren't feeling, that's not what we felt like, you know, I didn't feel like splashing around in a puddle. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just was me personally, you know, I, it was a tough time period. It was a tough time period for a lot of people, but even before the pandemic happened, it was not uh, a fun, super fun time, you know? Um, and so I really wanted, I just needed to sit in that and sort of all of us, I guess. And so that's what, 
you know, that's the re- reflection of the, the time we were going through because, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum and everything that you're sort of working on artistic art wise is going to be a ride in tandem with whatever is going on in your personal life. You know, I mean, you can, you know, sit and pick through the newspaper, I guess, and look for current events to write music about, but I don't think that we necessarily need that. You know, there's, there's, there's enough going on in everybody's personal life that that's going to be the, at the top of the list as far as like what you need to get off your chest to get into the art, to get it out. Yeah. um, You know, especially what was going on with you guys with losing your manager and then, you know, the pandemic and then also, you know, you guys own this studio and this rehearsal place and you have this overhead and everything else and you're not making any money and life is completely like, whoa, what happened compared to the last record where you're touring and just everything was fantastic. So, of course, you're going to write a uh, dense, gloomy record. If you didn't, it would almost feel fake. Like, what is this? You know? Yeah. I mean, after we lost Nick, I mean, just to, in conversations about, you know, we sort of knew that whatever the next offering was going to be from us, it was going to be, you know, quote unquote epic, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was the mood from before even one, you know, put down on a, on a demo or something. Um, that was the mood. You know, it was, it was definitely darker and, I don't know. Black and gray seemed like that was that was what it what it was. That was what it was going to be, and that's what it was, and that's what we. I mean, I don't want to say that we were super intentional about it, but I will say that that if anything that sounded too happy, you know, cropped up, it'd be like kick that thing out of there because we don't really want to live there for this album. Yeah, yeah, and this also might be an album later on where. Two, three years down the road where you play tunes and it really takes you back like oh man you get to the set list and you go oh we got to go there you know i know i mean it's already happened you know i think even the, the palladium show that you brought up you know just the last time we were there was the we nick was there and you know just yeah. a lot of memories being in that place with nick you know every time that we played the palladium he's get there early with the Starbucks and Hey guys. And, you know, just, uh, always excited to see him. And, um, you know, there's not too many people when you're on tour that you want to see at, at, at nine o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? When you get to, <laughs> when you get to the destination and you wake up and you get out there and make coffee and put on whatever to try to wake up, there's only a couple people in, on the planet that I would want to see walk through the bus door uh, when I'm in, you know, my skivvies and Nick John was one of them. So, yeah. um, really was missing him. And I got to, we played Gigantium and this is the last song on the album. And I got super emotional while we, I was trying to sing it, which is never, that's not, you know, I try to ride a fine or ride the, the, the fine line of, of, of performing em- with emotion, but not getting too emotional about something where, cause I mean, you know, crying and singing, they just don't mix. Yeah, so, but, you know it's just not good and uh so but yeah it's, t- it's sometimes it's you you do these things because you're you're at your studio you're at your studio and you're sort of isolated and you feel like it's the right thing to do and then you and you roll it out in front of people and you're like oh yeah i have to do this every night now and i have to talk about it publicly and i have to you know Maybe it wasn't the smartest idea to be public about it, but I also feel like it's important to, uh, you know, it helps people, you know, to be open and honest about 
what the subject matter really is about, uh, it, it has the potential to help, you know? So that's, that's why we're here. There you go. It does. Isn't it amazing in the world of entertainment, especially rock, that there's probably only like five good managers out there. Isn't that crazy? Like if you think about managers, you know, most people. Is there the, five? Well, yeah, I know. I, 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 no, but I was, I was actually like patting that, you know. Yeah, but yeah. It is crazy to think, you know, like I, uh, you know, Metallica's manager. You know, I was talking to him a couple of days ago, and you know, they've had him forever. And I talked to him. I said, "You're like a guy." that you never heard bad shit about. Oh, they ripped off the band or, or the guy didn't do shit or any of that. You know what I mean? That you just, everybody wants that Peter Grant, you know, and it's really yeah. hard to find. It is. I mean, you know, they're, they're the, the band's protector, you know, and they represent you, you know, and if you're preaching that you're real, you know, like Metallica does, you know what I mean? We're jeans and t-shirt. We're the real deal then the person that is handling your business day to day behind the scenes also needs to reflect that, you know, and there's not a lot of, of that type of thing. There's just doesn't really exist. Like you said, there's not, there's only a few. Um, Luckily within Rick sales, you know, management company was, was Kristen that is our manager now. And she was basically, you know, one of Nick's best friends and, is also one of those people that's just awesome and you know the real deal and uh so luckily within we kept it in the family you know after nick passed and uh are super happy with with what kristen has done i mean she, now she handles us and gojira and ghost and you know so she's she's a busy lady and um and gets it gets the job done for sure and she's awesome Let's get into a little bit when you're writing this record. I know that you had about 20 songs floating around for, you know, worked up for it. When you got in there and you're recording this type of record, how are you writing? Is is it just riff for riff for riff and then putting them together? Or is somebody coming in going, here's the complete song? Because these songs, you know, it's not like something you just sit down on acoustic and go, okay, here's the tune, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. You know what I mean? It's they're mapped out, you know, sagas. Yeah, I think it's a lot of um, I mean, you get this crop going, you know what I mean? Like I said, you you get the your little okay. When you when you decide that it's we're in writing you're in writing mode, um, a lot of it starts with uh I live right down the street from Bill. Uh and I'll just walk over there in the morning and nine AM down in Bill's basement and He's got a little Pro Tools set up. There's a drum kit down there. And we just start going through it. You know, he's uh, he'll have a bunch of ideas on his computer. I'll have something I wrote the night before on a on an acoustic or something at my house. And I'll be like, hey, I got these two riffs. Okay. Uh, like the first song on the album, Pain With An Anchor. Like the first two riffs were two riffs that I had strung together at my house. Brought them over there. Got them in Bill's more capable fingers. And then he's like, oh, I got something that I wrote months ago that I think would jive with that and let me find it oh, okay here it is yeah and so that happens with say you get six going like that and they'll be sort of for so it's a very methodical evolution of the songs you know and it just comes down to the taste of of our taste you know we just say either this song has too much going on we try to identify parts and then 
you know, you start either taking things away or you decide, well, this song needs an ending, you know, like take the last song, Gigantium. I had the, I had written the first like two or three riffs and then I didn't have anything for the ending, but we knew that there needed to be something that goes after that. So Bill and I sat down and we figured out what the ending was going to be, you know, but there was six months in between when that song was, had gotten to a certain point and then we don't know what to do with that anymore. So we're just going to leave it alone. And then we'll concentrate on that later. We'll work on this other stuff, you know, so it all slowly, you know, sort of comes together over a, a pretty long period of time, you know, then you'll have like a, a couple of songs that Brent wrote that he had, you know, a bunch of riffs that were all strung together. He's, he'll say, I think that these riffs are friends, you know, and then we'll get in there and we'll, we'll play along to everything. And then we'll sort of just rearrange things, you know? So it basically comes down to doing the work, you know, you have to show up every day and, you know, sometimes you leave feeling defeated. Like you, like it's just not right. And I can't figure out why it's not right. And I don't know why I don't like it, but I don't. And I, maybe I just hate that riff and maybe we just need to get rid of it. And, and then I lay here in my bed and, uh, can't sleep because I'm sitting up, laying up at four o'clock in the morning, trying to rearrange songs or is that the bridge or it's that the, should there be a solo there or should there be, what are the vocals going to be here? Da, 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 da. And so it's just a lot of like, it's a roller coaster ride of emotions when you're writing an album, you know, okay. and it just, uh, you just have to trust, um, you, know, you trust this process that you've done it every time and you've been happy with the results. So as frustrated as you might be six months into writing that it's not coming together, you have to trust the fact that you've done this for 20 something years and eventually it will get there. You know, maybe it'll take longer this time. Maybe it'll be shorter. I don't know, you know, but you just have to trust the fact that, that it's going to happen, you know, so, and it always does, but you always, no matter what, have those feelings of, uh, where you don't trust it and where you're like, maybe we're just done. Maybe this, this is terrible. Uh, you know, all that self-doubt and all that shit, you know, that gets in your head where you you just hate everything and are in a bad mood because everything's, I mean, you know, you're writing jokes. You're probably like, this joke is fucking shit. It's crazy. It sucks that I can't fucking figure out how to make it, ah, you know, uh, and then, and then bing, here's one day and you're like, Thank you. You know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a real pain in the ass, but I guess that's the, but the, the highs of, of discovering something that you love so much and are just like, Oh man, there it is. You know, you finally found it. That, that that's what keeps you digging, you know? Yeah. 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 Panning for gold. I call it. I, I was talking to yeah. someone recently and I go, man, I got this new 30 minutes really. And it, it just kind of came out of nowhere, you know? And, and the guy said, yeah, don't they all? And he was right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You don't go buy them at the store or something. They all just kind of come out of nowhere. And that's, you know, when you're in that studio and you're self-doubt and you're like, I don't even know, man, I'm lost. And then something happens. Uh, a vocal comes on or, or a, a, a layer of a, a, you know, the perfect solo and then an outro to the song. And you go like, Oh, wow. I'm starting to get this, you know, and yeah. then you get excited, you know? Yeah. 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 Like I said, roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. Do you find working in your own studio? Does it, does it get you laxed 
compared to if you were paying for high dollar studio time, say like a, a sound city or something where you're under the gun, which way do you prefer to work? I think in our own studio, I, I, I definitely prefer that. It's, it's a lot. Um, I mean, I don't mind the pressure and it's not like, you know, that's, it's not like pressure is a, is a, is a bad thing. It definitely is a producer, you know, it can, it can produce some pretty amazing moments, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if the moments would be the same if, if, if we had the pressure, I mean, we've, we've always done, done well in those situations where it's like, okay, you guys have two weeks, like, figure it out. But we try to go in pretty prepared. You know, we go in, I would say 75% all the way there with the, with the songs, like already mapped out how they're going to be. Usually the lyrics are the last thing to get really f- fleshed out and figured out, you know, it's like, cause nobody in our, nobody wants to write lyrics. It's like the most, it's the worst. It's the worst. I hate it. It really is the worst because, yeah. I mean, you know, I used to play music, so I I know exactly what it is. You know, after a while, I would just go in and go, all right, hit play. And I would just, you know, deer in the headlights, try to find stuff. And sometimes I'd come up with great shit. But if I just sat down on a Saturday with an acoustic and wanted to write lyrics, forget it, you know? And to me, all the choruses would come to me. And then I would have to find a fucking, what the, what's, what's this about, you know? Yeah, I uh, I mean, I have to really like lock myself in my guest bedroom over there. And like, <laughs> that's what I was doing on this particular album. You know, it was towards the end. And I guess when you do a double album, uh, big surprise to everybody in our band, but it's twice the work. So, <laughs> and it's like twice the amount of lyrics need to be written. And it's really long. And there's, a, oh, my God, we have like three more. I'm like, I'm tapped out, man. I don't, I don't have any more fucking lyrics to, I, I can't, you know, it's like, yeah, but you have to, all right, I'm going to do it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, because I don't want it to be like, whatever, you know, I want them to be meaningful, you know, but more so than any, than ever with this record, you know? And so I really was feeling like, man, I don't know. I might be tapped out. I might not have anything left in my peanut sized brain as it is to like figure out what the lyrics are going to be for this fucking song. Like you said, pressure, you know, we were under the gun with, with this. Basically, it was like, you know, David Bottrell was like, he was leaving for Canada. And he, he's like, you guys, like, we got one more day. Like, we need to figure this out. Wow. Like, okay, I'm going to go do it. Uh, and so I locked myself in the, uh, the old guest bedroom over there with, the, with my Ugg blanket and got cozy and, and, uh, <laughs> and finished, finished uh, the lyrics that I had committed to. You know, I said, okay, you know, me and Troy got together and was like, I will write these. You have to write these. Okay. All right. He said, all right. You know, he, he, he has a trailer that's like on the property of the, uh, of the practice space. Cause he lives in Florida, you know, so he drives up and then he lives, he's got the trailer life in the parking lot of the rehearsal space. That's also where the studio is. So he went to his trailer. I went to my Ugg blanket in the guest room and, and, and I finished my lyrics and, uh, and I, I, I do think they came out good. You know, I try to get it so that, I could read you the lyrics without singing them and not be totally humiliated. Oh God, that's a genius way, right? Where you're not skipping a line like, and say, uh, wait, what's that word? Like there, you're like, there's no fucking way I'm reading this in front of people, yeah. you know, like slam poetry style. Yeah. I, you know what I love about your band is you guys are very creative also on the social media side 
where a lot of bands, I think that they don't understand this is a different world. You can't just put records out. I'm an artist. I don't do any of that stuff. And some of the stuff was incredible watching this uh, making of this record. I really enjoyed watching the process of it, you know, especially just coming off of uh, that Beatles get back thing. It's so great to watch uh, bands create in the studio. And also, I think it gives people, you know, people understand that it's not easy, but to show you, hey, man, this shit is hard. You know, it's really cool to watch your your social media presence on there. I was watching the uh, the vocal one of the singing is great. And uh, and also the the other players like the keyboard player from uh, Claypool Delirium, which I absolutely love that band like beyond. Um, Oh, yeah, me too. That band is so unreal to me. Uh, You know, it's it's. It's amazing that they uh, th- that they found that chemistry and put out some great records. But anyway, my thing is to watch you guys on social media is also awesome. You know, even you doing the clown thing for the clown book, you know, uh, I, was, yeah, I, was, yeah. I, I love all that shit, man. Your videos on this record are next level. They've got uh, some great, great art feel. I mean, there's only a handful of bands that ever did great videos. If you think about it, Devo, Tool, you guys. You know, there's not a lot of good videos out there. And these videos that you did are insane. Where was that one film that was like on the, the beach or whatever, like uh, the buildings? Is that green screen or? No, that's uh, that's like near Sicily, I believe. It's, a, uh, it's, it's where the director is from, you know, and I had this, I woke up in the middle of the night and had this big idea for a video, you know, so I like, typed the whole thing into my phone at like four o'clock in the morning. It required, I wanted there to be these like two mazes on either side, you know, and, and, and the director was like, I'm going to the town I am from. I think it's, I think he's from there in Italy. And um, he's like, there's this crazy labyrinth there and we could film for nothing. And I was like, yeah, do that. Wow. <laughs> you know? um, so we kind of got lucky that he was from there and was going to be going there anyways. And he's like, I'll just film it and, you know, we'll, figure it out so yeah i mean we we usually we come up come up with a lot of our own treatments for videos you know just because i don't know we have ideas in that way too but it was always really difficult for me to come up with videos that were like serious you know yeah they always are have this comedic value to them because i feel like i was always feeling like on that's in that realm like in videos i wanted to be more entertaining or just any of the ideas that I have for videos are just, there's some, you know, bit of humor in there, uh, which, you know, much to a lot of our fans dismay, you know, they want everything to be really serious all the time, but that's not how we are. That's not how we are as, as people, you know, we're, we're almost never, we're almost never really serious, especially around each other. Uh, it's pretty much nonstop. Um, we're trying to make each other laugh and nonstop comedy. Uh, but this time around, I really was trying to figure out which there is a, a tinge of dark comedy with the first video for uh, Pushing the Tide, which has the labyrinth and has the uh, uh, the one guy gets eaten by the, you know, the, 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 the aristocrats that are hanging out watching them be in their maze. Um, Tear Drinker was more the director's idea, presented us with a, a treatment and we said, yeah, cool, looks good. Let's do it, you know, 
So, and then he also did, um, we had a crazy live thing going on behind us when we played for this whole last tour. And it was a combination of stuff that our buddy Skinner did and uh, our friends, uh, Mark and Gina from Hey Beautiful Jerk. And then, and then this guy, his name, they call him Yellow. So, yeah. <laughs> uh um i need a cool name like that but um yeah so he uh he, he's just a really cool visual artist and, and made some really cool uh computer generated images so yeah yeah they were they were incredible i mean you know uh i think there's some serious dark in there and then there's some comedy and that's what was genius about devo also if you watch these devo videos you're like these are wacky but there is definitely <laughs> some darkness to it you're like oh, oh yeah yeah whoa. <laughs> you know yeah that's the uh, that's 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 what needs to be there for sure it is funny what fans uh project on groups right where they want to lock a group into a box and uh and it's like it, you can't have comedy this is metal metal is real <laughs> metal is yeah. you, you know and it's it's a strange thing that fans, they don't want the band to explore other feelings. It's like, this is what I discovered them on. And this is what they better be for the rest. You know? Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot. There's, I mean, if you're lucky enough to have a long or pretty, you know, decent sized career, you just have, you have all these different factions of, of fans, you know? They have these people over here. We got for us, it's like we got the remission people, the Leviathan people. It's like almost like every record has their own fan base, you know. Then there's like the super fans that they say, I love it all, you know. You know, I get that. I'm 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 that way with lots of bands, you know. Like some of my favorite bands, I only like two records, you know. And I'll be like, That's my favorite band. Okay, well, which records do you like? I like these two records. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> how was how was that your favorite band then? Oh, well, I don't know, because that's my favorite. I like yeah. I love it. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, or these four records. It's always these four, you know, for for like the probably the Meta the Metallica. A lot of the Metallica fans, you know, they're like these four. You can't have no. Don't stop making music. They don't want you to stop making music, but they're not, you know, too interested in what you got going on presently. They'll they'll fall in love with it in twenty years. Well, I think bands like you and Metallica, and uh, you know, I would say there's some bands that have made records deep in their career that were just mind boggling and to be that small minded and not give so I mean, I think death magnetic and hardwire are some of the greatest records in the last 20 years of metal. Uh, and then the records you guys have made deep into your career. Uh, the last record was mind boggling to me when it came out that deep in, you're like, Oh my God, you know? And then the EP was crushing. And then this record, it, it's like, and look how far in you are. So I'm always amazed that bands stay excited and, and wanting to create new stuff. Cause there's a lot of bands out there like, ah, fuck it. No one's going to buy it. So why even go in? Let's just go out and play this stuff. And man, that, that would make me crazy as an artist. Oh yeah. I, I don't, I mean, as much as there'd be some people that want us to stop and want us to go ahead and make uh go ahead and go on tour and play Leviathan in full and just kind of do that for the rest, for the duration. I don't know. I just, you know, myself and all the rest of the guys, we just have all these ideas and, and we're just so used to this process. You know what I mean? Of Oh, you know, yeah. Oh, check this out or check this. Oh, I got a new, I got a riff or I got a part or I got a thing. You know, you're always sort of, I don't know that that feeling's ever going to go away. I, I, I hope it doesn't, you know, 
but it, up until this point it hasn't. And, you know, you don't think of yourself as being a 22 year old band, you know, and Oh, we're this like classic band. We're still feel like we're like this newer metal band. You know what I mean? I mean, because we're comparing it to Metallica and Iron Maiden bands that have been around for 40, almost 50 years, you know, you got Judas Priest and we're like, well, we're still new, you know, relatively speaking, you know, but I always it's like thought experiment where I say, okay, when I was 14 in the, in the late eighties, Black Sabbath was a classic band and you could watch like they'll have classic video come up on Headbangers Ball and it would be paranoid and you'd see all the wacky sixties wow wow you know doing that and stuff and they got the bell bottoms and you're like these fuckers are old you know what i mean (laughs) but but they were 20 they were 20 some they were 20 years old that's all that's how old they were as a band you know what i mean talking 1968 or something it's 78 88 you know uh that's exactly how old our band is you know so i'm like man our people are our our kids that are 14 and 15 watching the March of the Fire Ants video being like, these, these guys are old, man. And I'm sure we are. I'm sure, you know, you remember when you were 14 and somebody was like 30, you thought they were 60. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I always tripped out, you know, when you're auditioning guys and a dude came in over 25, you're like, Ooh, man, this guy's old. Think about Bond Scott. (laughs) Like Angus was like 16 and Bond was like, like a dad almost. You're like, that yeah, would yeah. never even work in the in the record company where they'd be like, hey, you got to get rid of the old dude on vocals. You know, it's really weird what old was when we were young playing rock. And, and it's always funny when they think like uh, Greta Van Fleet, how young they are or whatever. I go, all the bands were young. That's how they start. You know, yeah. all bands were in their 20s. When you love them, they're 20 years old. You, they're not yeah, 40. Yeah. They're just, no. old, you know, they seem like old now because they're still around, but they're, you know, Guns N' Roses was 21, you know, yeah, Def exactly. Leppard, 17, 18, you know, all the bands were in their 20s. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, you think like Leonard Skinner wrote uh, Freebird when they were like 17, 18 years old. You're like, no, that's impossible. They had to be, you can't, a 17 a, a year old person cannot write Freebird. That person needs to be at least 30 to be able to write that song. That's in your mind, right? That's what you would think. Also, fans back then had sideburns and mustaches, so they looked like they were 30. Right, when they were when like they were 16. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, well, Ronnie Van Zandt, he's got to be about 38 there. Huh? They're like, nah, he's 23, 23. You know, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. uh, speaking of that, when you were out on the road, two years had passed or three years had passed since you'd been on the road again and you're out three weeks and you start to get older. And and by the way, I think the drumming on this record is fucking unreal, but what is starting to happen? What are the regiments you got to do to fire that machine up, man? Because uh, I'm 55 and my body, I got to go to the gym every day or my body just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just worked out right before I did this with you. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to work out. I work out every day and, you know, try to get down there and play the drums as much as I can. I got drums in my basement and, uh, man, you just got to keep doing it and keep doing it at, at a, a high, high level as you, uh, as you can push yourself to do, you know, and you just have to uh, be disciplined. That's really what it comes down to. You know, I feel like if you let it slip, then, you're playing with fire a little bit you know it could kind of slip away from you a little bit you know but 
I like to I like to try to be at a, at least base camp on Drum Mountain. I call it Drum Mountain, and I never want to be at the bottom of Drum Mountain. So that I have to start from the very bottom and climb all the way up. I like to be at base camp, at least with my feet up, hot cocoa, you know, ready to ready to climb it. Uh, but you know, mid tour is going to be your at the top of Everest. That's going to be your best shape that you're in. You can never really get to mid tour shape. I feel like at home or at the practice space. I can at least. I can't fire up the intensity of the actual live show with the people in the room and and the, the energy that that creates. Probably similar to a professional athlete that is practicing all week, but the adrenaline that that is uh, introduced when you're in front of fans is a, a level that's hard to get to when you're just by yourself or with your guys in a, in a room with no one there. Um, and you can really try to lay into it, but then you find out right when you hit stage and three songs in, you're like, Oh yeah, this <laughs> it always takes, takes, a, it takes a few songs to get it, get it going. And we were doing one-offs. We were doing like um, festivals and I was like, man, I'm dogging it by the end of the show. Plus you get the sun right in your face and like, Oh yeah, this, 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 this fun stuff. I mean, it's all, it's always awesome. You know I mean? I'm not complaining, but uh, it was, it's always hard to come back from a long break and get back into the doing it on a consistent basis you know which this tour was the first time in a few years where it was like wasn't just a one-off and you're like oh okay we got through that and it was awesome it's like no you have to do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day you know like yeah but and i i had that feeling i said i said i had that feeling like yeah but i did that yesterday i did it like we have to do it again yeah you have to do it again oh yeah this feeling of you know hey cool all right yeah. I feel like I sang better than I ever have ever sung live on this last tour. So I'm fine. I'm starting to figure it out <laughs> how to do it like properly. And, you know, it is hard. It's like, you know, it's kind of singing on an elliptical machine, you know, <laughs> which is oh, yeah. not ideal. And lots of people don't want it to be happening, but this is, this is where we're at. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> when you're singing, you know, it's all about breathing it, and a lot of people don't know that, but you, you have to have the right breathing. If you're out of breath, you're not going to be able to hit the note or you're going to fall short, you know? So when yeah, you're speaking playing, of red rocks, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Right. Just the altitude. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. Can we get rid of this song and this song and replace it? <laughs> Cause I'm hitting, I get all the, I get all the high notes in the band, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm like, oh my God. Okay. What have I done to myself? But yeah, here we are. Yeah. You're in the studio and you're like, Hey, let me hit that again. Let me hit that again. Let me hit that again. And then you get it perfect. And then out on the road, you're like, I'll never be able to hit that note out here. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. But, so what's it looking like? Uh, you guys have a tour in mind for the uh, summer, any kind of ideas, uh, a package who's what's happening. Uh, I don't know. We're not, we're not there yet as far as I know that we're going to Europe. So we'll do that. I think, I mean, I think we're going to Europe supposed to be it's on the books Yeah. Um, to do all the festivals and things. And we got some one-offs with uh, Baroness and um, I'm hoping that we're going to do a second leg of the Opeth tour. So we'll see what that looks like. And then we're supposed to do a cruise ship deal like at the end of, February. Your own cruise? Not our own cruise, but it's called Veragos, I think. And it's like uh 
Rob Zombie and Mudvayne and a bunch of bands. But I don't, I mean, I don't know. That seems like if there was anything that wasn't going to happen, I have no idea. Uh, I haven't heard anything as far as, I, I think it's still on, basically. It's, I think it's happening. So so that, that'll be cool. Nothing solid yet as far as like the U.S. in summer, but but, you know. We're gonna just sort of keep our eye on everything and see how how everything's progressing as far as COVID situation, and uh, you know, fingers crossed and hoping for the best, like everybody else, and hoping that that um, that things return to full on normalcy sooner than later. Yeah, yeah. Did you find that the lockdown brought the band closer together and the passing of your manager and everything? Like, oh my god. We're lucky we have each other. Did that happen? I think that, I mean, we've all, we've never had a problem with being close. Like that's what's kept us together the whole time. The same four guys is that, you know, we just have a, we love each other. We're, we're best friends and have a deep admiration for each other. And we have 20 something years of history that no one would want to let go of as far as like uh, all four of us were sleeping on cat piss infested floors and we've done the whole thing together so we have to stick it stick it out you know and and not that it's ever been that's ever been in question you know any kind of internal arguments or anything of that nature that you know uh hurt feelings or anything usually gets squashed pretty quickly and we're we're actually not the not not the worst communicators uh even though we're we're dudes you know, we can, we seem to be able, we seem to be able to, when, when, when shit really, when somebody gets too drunk and says some dumb shit the night before we squash it then in the morning, we say, Hey, this is what you said. Apologize. You know, <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it, man. Up. You were 10. Yeah. And we, you were 10, you know, and it's cool. We've all been there, but you need to know that you just, you did say this yeah. <laughs> and you need to know that it, you need to know that it's not cool. Yeah. And you, we, we need to hear from you that you understand that to move forward amicably. Thank you. And good night. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we love each other. We're great friends. Um, it's important to us to keep our, our thing together. And, and we always felt from day one that the thing that made us special was the four unique players in the group, in the band. And that without that, um, it, it would be different, you know, um, I'm not saying that somebody can't be like, Hey, I'm done doing this and I love you guys, but I'm going to go pursue something else. I'm not saying that that would be, you know, I, it would be, Hey, I love you too. And, and I wish you nothing but the best. And, and I'll still, you know, I look forward to your Christmas card next year or whatever, but it hasn't, nothing like that has ever been said. And so we're just kind of going to continue on this path until those, uh, those wheels inevitably fall off, you know, hopefully. I hope to get to see the uh, tour. I mean, I saw you five times in the last tour. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was bummed I didn't get to see that because it just, you know, there's a few bands that I need to see every time they come through that that inspire me, you know, like, oh, shit. Yeah, I got to I got to get better at whatever I do, you know, and you guys are one of them. And uh, like I said, the Palladium was special to me because that's when I met you and interviewed you the first time. And um it's just great to talk to your band and see you guys a lot over the last few years, you know, in the past there. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that you guys roll through or we, uh, we, we cross paths somewhere out on the road and you should come to Atlanta with Bill Burr. I think I am coming (laughs) to Atlanta with Bill Burr. Are you? 
Yeah. And uh, I would love to have the have you come down, man. Uh, who I've seen. I've seen Bill. I've seen Bill here in Atlanta before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where at? Oh, we, we, we were just in Atlanta, dude. We were just oh, you there. were? Yeah, we did the Fox. Oh, probably while I was on tour. We, yeah, we did the Fox. Right. Play it pretty for Atlanta. That place is great. Pretty for Atlanta. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Wow. Yeah, we've played we've played there a couple times. Man, I, I forgot we were just there. That's how blurry it was in December. But that's amazing. They were going to tear that joint down. And then Skinner said, we'll play three nights and donate all the money so you keep it. And they record yeah. that one one more from the road record, which is one of the greatest live records ever. And oh, open, yeah, opening with working for MCA. But what a theater, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. It was uh, I remember driving around with uh, Troy in the van when we very first started. And I was first getting to know Troy and we drove past the Fox Theater. And it was like, man, one day. You know, and I was just I just kind of laughed because it was ridiculous. You know what I mean? To ever think that uh, this dirty ass. Mastodon guys that look like we look homeless would ever play the Fox Theater, you know, this illustrious theater. Um, but yeah, we played there twice. Wow. Wow. Look at that. Hey, so, hey look at that. Right. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll be back yeah. there. And uh, you've been watching a lot of company. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm pretty sad about Norm. And, I, you know, I got my, my Turd Ferguson shirt on. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I, I mean, that actually hit me pretty goddamn hard. He's like one of my favorites ever. He's one of my favorites ever as well. I mean, really on tour, even Troy would be like, hey, what are you doing watching Norm? You watching Norm McDonald videos, you know, because uh, if I would ever get just down in the dumps on tour and missing home and, you know, everything sucks once in a while on tour and uh, or you'd be in Europe, <sighs> you know, doom, kind of doom and gloom in the winter or something like that. I can always I could always count and I can I still can, obviously. Because I just go into my Norm Macdonald on talk shows uh, wormhole, you know, of him on Conan, him on Letterman, him on, you know, uh, I just sit there and, and and he just would bring me out of any funk that I would ever be in, you know, oh. and I've seen all his specials, you know, I just, I use it as a, as a litmus, litmus test for, for friends, you know what I mean? Like, how close can we actually be as friends? Do you like Norm Macdonald? Do you like Andy Kaufman? Do you understand Andy Kaufman? And that will give me a gauge of whether or not we can be, you know, real close friends. You know, if you really truly understand what Norm Macdonald was doing, then, you know, we can elevate our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I use it like that, I guess. But I've been into comedy since I was a little kid. Uh, Richard Pryor. And I was pretty young when I was watching all this stuff, but it really, I just, you know, I would tape all that stuff on video. I think I'd had... I had Bob Goldthwaite's um, first HBO special where Dee Snyder's in the audience. Uh, what was it? Was it feel? Was it feel the warmth? Or I watched that over and over and over, over and over and over. I watched it every day when I got home from school, and I would go to school and do the routines for my friends at lunch. You know, the Paul Reiser special back then. All the Dangerfield, the young comedians. Oh, hours God. were the Kenison greatest. Kenison and Dice, Kenison, Bob Saget, yeah. and, uh, uh, Bob Nelson. Yeah. Maurice Lamar, uh, <laughs> Rita Rudner. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, I was a big, pretty big, uh, pretty big comedy nerd. That Norm special, me doing stand up, the one at the Fillmore. I, uh, oh, yeah. I think it's one of the greatest specials ever made. And that came out, I think, in 2010. So I'd been doing comedy for like a year or two in. 
And it just immediately, I was like, oh, oh, I, I see. You know, he doesn't touch the mic. He doesn't move. His arms are straight down and his timing is impeccable. You know, that whole stuff, like, you, you know, Janice, I don't know. She, she didn't light up oh. a room ever. She barely even, you yeah, know, like, Janice. it's unbelievable. Sure. Through sheer tyranny of will, she could light up a room. <laughs> I mean, that that joke, the Janice joke, oh. from start to finish is oh. is a master. It's a masterpiece. It is, dude. It is the long form. The long form jokes that no one does that shit. It's like it's it's another it's the, it's another level of joke telling. And he just was just a joke teller, you know. Yeah. But taking that like old school, antiquated style, even just the style of speech, you know, and folding that into the persona is, is masterful. And it's a, it's a whole thing. But yeah, that Jan- that Janice joke. Oh, <laughs> wait, like cheese? Wait, like cheese sandwiches? Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a whole oh. fucking van of them over there. <laughs> oh, I love it again. <laughs> oh, Janice. Oh. Let me tell you about Janice. <laughs> Just the way he does that shit, you know? Amazing. God, I got goosebumps thinking Listen, about it. I mean, right I'm going to, you know, yeah. After I get off here, I'll probably just go go ahead and get in my, my norm wormhole. Yeah, yeah. I remember one time I watched, I used to see him at the comedy store. He'd come down like, you know, once a month or something. And whenever he was there, I was like, oh, God, Norm's here, rat. I got to go watch. And he was in the showroom. What I loved about him is half the room was on board and the other half weren't getting it, which always I always think is the best comedy, like Kaufman. When you got half the room, they're like, I don't get it. The tension is unbelievable and makes for an explosive comedy show. And he was doing uh, about 10 minutes about apples. You know, oh, they call themselves delicious apple. That's how can you name yourself? You know, like. He's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and so he gets off the stage. He's out on the in the you know comedy store has this parking lot where the comics hang. I go, oh, dude, that was so fucking funny. I had to leave the room because I was over, I was laughing too hard and I didn't want to fuck him up. Too much, yeah. And I said, dude, that shit was so funny. He looked at me, he goes, Yeah, go in and tell them. <laughs> it was such a norm answer. Yeah, go tell them. Oh, yeah. And then, and man, I, I mean, how great it was. I was fucking blown away when he when when he passed. I was I was you know, I was, he was, I was a huge huge fan of him. And you know, thank God we have zillions of videos. I I do think the Turd Ferguson Jeopardy video is the greatest sketch besides No Cowbell ever. You know, on SNL. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> it's a it's a bigger hat. So yeah, it is funny, you know, the cowboy. Hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oversized cowboy hat. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is not. Yeah, so yeah, good. it is because it's bigger. It's that just the, the timing. <laughs> oh yeah, he's just a master, master. Well, it's great talking to you, man. Great talking to you too. Congrats on this record, man. It's it's. I think it's going to be one of those ones. Like I said, it, the deeper I get, the more and more I'm going to be into it. Like, oh my god, you know, uh, it, it's it's just that cool. I, hope so. I, I I I believe it, man. It's it it's not a fucking surface record. You have to put it on and go. I'm ready for the ride. And you know, Octung Baby. When I first bought that, I was like, what? 
And then two months later, greatest record ever. Yeah, I have a lot of experiences like that with music and some of my favorite albums that I wasn't ready for. And like when I first listened to it, I'm like, well, there's a lot here. Okay, I don't have time right now, but there's going to be a flight coming up or there's going to be a road trip and I can put you on and digest you properly. But I can, I can always tell when there's something that has a lot to give. And, and I always know that a lot of times it's me and where I'm at that I, I'm not ready for it. But at least, you know, you, you know that there's something there and you trust the artist, you know. Right. So, That's exactly what I was going to say. Hopefully this is that kind of record for, for, for some people, you know. It is. It is that record. I mean, you know, you, Gojira. Tropical Fuckstorm. You guys made some uh, what I call the pandemic records. You want to know what the pandemic sounds like? You put this on and you go, wow, this is they've captured the sound and the vibe and the uh, feeling of the pandemic and uh, dark days, which I think we need, you know, to be able to go back and go, this is pandemic, you know, and that's exactly. Crazy. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Hit me up anytime. Great to see you. Yeah, you too, man. For real, it's. Uh, I'll uh, I'll look at I'll look at your tour dates and uh, if if I get a wild hair and want to fly somewhere, I might hit you up. God, that'd be cool, right? That'd be cool. It would be cool. Oh my god, yeah, Bill would love that. Yeah, Bill plays drums, you know. Oh yeah, I know. I'm friends with uh, Dave Velich, his drum oh, yeah. teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, what's the one last thing? Are you still what? What are you playing drums wise? I play Tama drums. Yeah, still playing Tama. Yeah, I was just checking yeah. from last time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Tama. Uh, Tama drums, Minel cymbals, Vader sticks, and Evans drum heads. There you go. A good plug. They hooked me up. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good weekend. Nice. Happy New Year, brother. And Happy New Year to you. Stay healthy. Glad you uh, you beat that shit. See you, buddy. Later.